0: Great. Um, John chapter 2. John chapter 2 will be um, reading verses 1 through 11. John 2, verse 1 through 11. Um, from now until Easter, about seven weeks, uh, uh, God willing, we will be in a series that will title Glimpses of Glory. Glimpses of Glory. Um, the thinking behind that is John is separated in four major sections. You've got an introduction and you've got a conclusion. Between that introduction and conclusion, from uh, chapter from John chapter 1, verse 19, all the way through John chapter 12, you've got what uh, scholars would call, and the church is historically called, the book of signs. And what's going on in that book of signs is Jesus, he's performing certain signs to give us glimpses of his glory. And from John chapter 13 all the way through John chapter 20, that's what we call the book of glory because that's one weekend where the Father fully glorifies Jesus. So John, it's written as a crescendo where Jesus gives us glimpses of glory, glimpses of glory, glimpses of glory, Then there's one weekend where he's fully glorified. What I want to do for the next seven weeks is I want to look at these signs that he performs in the first half of that book. And hopefully we will get a glimpse of God's Jesus's glory. He'll open our eyes. We'll see him for who he is. We'll see him more clearly and we'll love him and obey him and all of that great stuff. So we're going to do that for seven weeks, starting today. John, chapter two, uh, verse one, down to verse 11. If you've got it, stand with me. I know it's been a few weeks, but I want to keep reminding us that when we come to the scripture, we're hearing God speak. Uh, that's why I have a standing so we can remind ourselves that God is speaking to us. John chapter two, starting in verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, hey, they, they ran out of wine. They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, "Woman, what does this have to do with me? my hour hasn't come. And his mother said to the servants or to the waiters and waitresses, if you will, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there uh, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast, that would be the wedding coordinator, That's what I want to happen to us over the next seven weeks. Jesus, manifest his glory, and we, his disciples, believe in him. Um, So I want to get a glimpse of glory from the water turned into wine today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for being here with your people. Uh, Show us your glory so we can love you more, have deeper faith in you, Uh, be one church following you. Amen. Amen. Uh, You can... You can you can take a seat. So, John, he ends it. That last bit we read, he says that Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to walk through this um, episode um, from the perspective of the disciples. So hopefully we can try to see what they saw, see as they saw, so we can come to a belief in the same way they came to a belief in Jesus. Um, so the first thing we got to do, we've got to get acquainted with um, our setting. Uh, So we're we're here at this wedding with Jesus. We don't know the bride. We don't know the groom. Um, We're here because Jesus is here. Uh, We don't know who this lucky couple is that has Jesus uh, come to their wedding. Um, And this ain't Jesus's first wedding. Uh, Weddings were were common in in this culture and community that he grew up in. So just like any other wedding, it lasted probably about seven days because everybody knows ain't no party like a newlywed party because newlywed parties don't stop. So we're probably going to be here for about seven days, Um, just like any other wedding. It began with the groom making this procession of dancing with his groomsmen to their favorite song to celebrate the event. There's kids and family members all around hugging and celebrating the couple. This wedding is a regular uh, part of the Jewish way of life. Uh, And John says it's here at this wedding. This is the setting of Jesus's first sign. Uh, in the scripture, a sign is an action, an event, a thing that points to something else, that communicates something else. In John's gospel, specifically, a sign is an action by Jesus that shows us Jesus. It's an action done by Jesus that reveals the nature and character of Jesus. So Jesus reveals himself at a wedding when I was younger, I grew up and I saw the world um, separated into two ways. There were the religious settings and there were the regular real life settings. And I thought that Jesus only revealed himself in the re- religious settings, but, but pulled his revelation. He, he was hands off from the real life settings. So I thought, well, Jesus reveals himself when I go to Sunday school on Sunday morning and when I'm in church on Sunday morning and when I'm back at church on Sunday evening and when I'm at church on Wednesday and when we've got prayer meetings at church on Thursday and when we've got set up for church on Friday and I grew up in church. I was in church a lot. I thought Jesus only revealed himself in that religious setting and he didn't do much in the real life settings like school or when people go to work or when they have relationship problems. But John says Jesus revealed himself, not in the temple, not on the Sabbath, not during the worship setting, but he revealed himself at a wedding. That lets me know that Jesus reveals himself in real life settings. God has historically showed up in regular mundane moments and showed people who he is. Jacob says, I was getting ready to go to sleep. I had just laid down my pillow for the night and God showed up and showed me that he's the God of my fathers. Moses says, I was tending my father-in-law's sheep with the same thing I'd been doing for the past four decades. I was minding my business and God showed up and showed himself as I am that I am. Peter said, I was having a bad day at work wasn't going to make my sales for the day i wasn't catching a single fish and jesus showed up and showed me that he was lord god doesn't just reserve his revelation for the mountaintop experience but he comes in the mundane moments and shows you who he is any moment can be a moment where god shows up and shows himself he can show up and show himself while you're in the car. He can show up and show himself while you're at work. He can show up and show himself while you're at home. He 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 can show up and show himself in any moment. So if you're hungering for a relationship that's more than informational, but also experiential, tangible, look for him to show up in the mundane moments. This, this experiential interaction with God, it's developed and it's experienced in the real time, day to day, not just the religious moments. I came to know God as a provider in the, in the real time moment of needing something, and He provided for me. I came to know him as uh, the giver of peace in the real-time moments when I when I was stressed and had anxiety and he gave me peace. I came to know him personally and experientially in the real-time moments. If we only look for him to show himself in the religious moments, we're putting a cap on how much we can know him. He shows up in a real-life setting, like a wedding. And so we're here at this wedding we're doing our thing. It's just like any other wedding. We we just turned up to Sweet Caroline. It got everybody going. The cha-cha slide just happened for the third time. It looks like the Cupid Shuffle is going to happen, but we're not tired of it yet. So we're going and we're going. And then a problem presents itself. Uh, uh, we, we know it's a problem because because Jethro and Joseph, they've been on the dance floor all day. And then they go take a drink to get a cup of wine. And the bartender says, we're out, chief. And so they go back to the dance floor and they start spreading word. Hey, they're out of wine. They're out of wine. And as word spreads, it gets kind of tense because everybody knows that, that it's the groom's responsibility to provide all that was needed for the whole wedding. And when, the groom, when we run out of stuff, that means the groom didn't provide the stuff. That's, that's shame. And so people are saying, child, you hear they ran out of wine? He couldn't provide for his own wedding. He ought to rethink uh, getting married. This would look bad on that boy. I said we don't know who this groom or this uh, bride is, but we have good reason to believe that Mary and Jesus were related to them. Scholars say that Mary probably sensed um, a familial obligation to help this groom save face. She made it her mission to fix the wine problem. She took it up as her own cause, but shortly after she realized she couldn't do much about that. But it's cool because she got Jesus and she I mean, it's Mary. It's her son. Of course, Jesus cares about this as much as Mary cares about this. So Mary goes up and says, Jesus, Jesus, they have no wine. And look what this boy said to her. She changed his diapers. And he said, woman, what's this have to do with me? He he respectfully distanced himself from the mission she'd taken up for herself. Jesus, isn't that your mother? Yep, that's Jesus' mother. But Jesus, being Jesus' mama doesn't obligate him to your mission. Can I remind us, Christ Church, that Christ isn't obligated to our causes? I think the same way Mary thinks some, um, sometimes. i told you a few weeks ago about my best friend, Gio. We both left my hometown uh, at the same time. And so when we're both back in town, it's a real big ordeal. And so all of my friends will be hanging out and then we'll all split up. And I'm working off the assumption when we leave, Jesus, Gio is riding with me and he's going to do what I'm going to do for the day. And so we're all about to disperse. And one of my other friends says, Gio, you want to come do this with us? And, I butted, and I'm like, no, Gio's riding with me. He's doing what I'm doing. I've already made plans for us. And then I met with disappointment when I realized Gio had his own plans already. He wasn't riding with me after all. How many times do we assume that Jesus is riding with us? We, 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 we take up a mission, take, a, take up a cause to determine our own plans. We set our own direction. We have our own journey. And we just assume that Jesus is on board with what we're about to be on. And maybe it's because the same way that Mary uh, operated. Mary was operating off this assumption probably because of their relationship, probably because of who she was. So maybe we think, of course, Jesus is riding with me. I'm right. Of course, Jesus is riding with me. I'm Christian. Of course, Jesus riding with me. I, I, I know this is a worthy cause that I've deemed. Of course, Jesus is riding with me. This is the way to save democracy. Obviously, he's riding with me. Friend, Christ ain't committed to your cause. He's committed to his kingdom. The only thing he's obligated himself to is the will of his father. Then he gives us a peek into what that is when he brings up his moment. He brings up his hour. Um, an hour, whenever the Bible or whenever the Gospel of John mentions an hour, it's talking about a moment, a time to shine. Everybody has moments and times to shine. The Grammys would be an artist's uh, moment. Their time to shine where all the world sees how good they are. Uh, uh, I'm going I'm to lose some of y'all. Um, Super Bowl 55 was Tom Brady's moment, his time to shine for all the world to see that he's the greatest quarterback. Uh, not too long ago, I just said I grew up in church. Um, my moment, my time to shine was Christmas of 98. Uh, four-year-old Geron, um It was my moment. Uh, I was the sheep in the nativity scene. It, 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 was, it was my time for all the world to see my acting abilities. We've all got moments. When Jesus says my hour hasn't come yet, he's talking about his moment, his, his time to shine. It's when the Father would display his glory in John chapter 13 to 20, would display his glory specifically on the cross for all the world to see that he's the Messiah. This hour, this moment, it speaks of his passion. The passion of Christ, it was the church's um, designation for an event before Mel made it a movie. It speaks of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus says, my priority is the passion. If Christ prioritized his passion, we ought to, too, church. Uh, The passion of Christ ought to be the priority of his people. Uh, the reason we think we have right standing with God is the passion of Christ. The reason we're here singing songs is because of the passion of Christ. The reason I'm up here talking is because of the passion of Christ. When we go out, our message and our hope and our peace is the passion of Christ. I know we love content. So everyone who loves to read books, where you all at? Everyone who loves to listen to podcasts, where you all at? Listen to me. Beware of any source that'll sell you a brand of Christianity that decenters the passion of Christ. There's someone out there trying to sell you a brand of Christianity that decenters Christ's passion and puts personal identity at the center. Someone's trying to sell us a brand of Christianity that decenters Christ and his passion and puts personal performance and improvement at the center. Someone will try to put secondary doctrines at the center. Someone will try to put activism at the center. Someone will try to put this country or politics at the center. Listen to me. Those are okay side pieces, but they're terrible centerpieces. Right. Terrible foundations. Those things rise and fall, they fluctuate, they change, they're fickle, they're flaky, they change with every generation, they change with every season. And if those things are your centerpiece, if those things are your foundation, you will crumble. But Christ, he's firm. What he did is finished. On that solid rock we stand. Everything else is sinking sand. So he says, I came from a passion moment. I'm not married to your mission. I, I'm not obligated to your causes. Oh, Jesus, your passion ain't happening for a few years. Your cousin still has no wine. We still got a problem at the wedding. Uh, so, so So what do we do? I like what Jesus did because he addresses the problem, but he repurposes the whole situation. Uh-huh. He doesn't address the problem for the problem's sake. He takes the situation and uses it as a moment to show us his glory. Uh, Mary, you see, she ain't even argue with Jesus. He said, what's this got to do with me? And she turns and looks at the waiters and waitresses and says, um, the one who's probably brighter than all of us, abnormally pretty, uh, speaks the Queen's English and King James sign, that one? Yeah, that's my son? I know it's hard to believe. That's my son. Um, do whatever he tells you. And so this waiting staff, I mean, they've got no other choice. So they go over to Jesus, and Jesus is looking at this massive crowd of people. And then Jesus sees these big six stone jars, massive. And he says, y'all see those jars? Fill them with water. So they do what he says. Now now pull some out, and they do what he says. And this waiting staff that seconds ago poured in clear water, they're now pulling out red wine. I know we've all heard this story, but don't be desensitized to the power that Jesus just exerted in that moment. He didn't talk to the wine. He didn't touch the wine. He didn't have them do a trick. He didn't put any mixer in there. Jesus at most thought about the wine and the water turned into wine. He just showed us that he controls creation. Christ controls creation. Uh, when I was younger, one of my older cousins put me on The Sims, um, that video game. I used to love The Sims. I used to love creator mode specifically. I could, I, If I wanted a mountain to go real tall, I could press that cursor and make that mountain go real high because I was in creator mode. If I wanted to start a fire and it not burn anything, I could start the fire and it not burn anything because I was in creator mode. If I wanted a duck to be a a cow, the duck would be a cow because I was in creator mode. It's a real nice virtual fantasy for me, but that's Jesus's reality. Jesus's existence is creator mode. John in the prologue says there's not a thing that was made that he didn't make. He created it all. (laughs) Then the gospels show us uh, the life of Jesus as he's exerting control over it all. He's on a boat, looks at a hurricane, says stop, and it goes to sleep. He cursed a fig tree and the tree shriveled. He looked at a sick body and uh, Mark or Matthew, they say he rebuked, he rebuked, he rebuked sickness. And the sickness left that body. This is Jesus. He controls creation. This is why we can't give up on prayer as a solution to seemingly natural problems. This is the God who created the natural world. He, he determined the natural order. We've got friends across the world who are suffering from floods and droughts. Yes, let's send relief money, but we're going to pray because we're praying to the one who created that water. We've got friends and family who are dealing with sickness and pain in their body. Yes, we should encourage them to go to the doctor, give them some medicine, but we're going to pray because we're praying to the one who created that body. We know people who are dealing with all kinds of mental and emotional situations, go to therapy, take some medicine, but we're going to pray because our God created that brain. I'm not discounting the medicine. I'm saying the only reason the medicine works is because the one who created it all has determined that it works. And when it doesn't work, we're still going to pray because he can work without it. He exerts control over creation, but that's just the act. he's, He's showing us something in that act. Here's what it did. So John says those six jars were for Jew- Jewish purification rites. They they washed themselves. This was the the way of Moses, the law. Jesus turns water that was used for ancient rituals and turns it into wine. Now we all know our Old Testament, those waiters and waitresses they knew their Old Testament. They read scriptures that 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 communicated that wine would characterize God's new thing. Wine would characterize the redemptive age of God. And Jeremiah 31 verse 12 says that when God does this new thing, the people of God will be radiant with joy because of the good things that God gave them. And one of those things is wine. Uh, Amos chapter 9 says, when God does this new thing, wine will overflow and run down the side of hills. Wine's going to be everywhere when God does this new thing. So maybe when Jesus turned that water into wine, he's saying that new thing is now. Uh, Same way someone stands up and Steve Jobs, per se, stands up and unveils the iPhone in 2007. Jesus is using this moment to unveil God's new thing. He's unveiling that he is the new thing. Uh, I've told you before, all of these prophecies in the Old Testament consolidate into one person, the Messiah. So Jesus is not just saying that new time is now. He's saying I am the one that brings all that new time into reality. Jesus is God's new thing. Oh, and he showed it to us on the cross. The the cross was the crux of all of this. Because he died on a cross, we have a new and living way to the Father. Because he died on the cross, all who are in him uh, are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But because he died on that cross, we, we don't live the old way anymore, but we live the new way, life in the spirit. Because of that cross, we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth. I'm so glad he died on that cross. And gave us that new. And now from the throne in heaven, he says, behold, look around. I'm making all things new. Christ Church, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired of. The the same old stuff from this sinful world. I'm so sick and tired of seeing people die. But he says, I make all things new. I'm extremely sick and tired of seeing seeing children, kids exploited, abused, killed. He says, I'm making all things new. I'm so sick and tired of seeing people hate, kill, war. And he says, I'm making all of it new. He offers that new to anyone who would believe in him. If you haven't believed in him, but believe in his message that he is the son of God, that he has come and died on our behalf and, and, and rose and reigns. And you live in that new now. For those of us who have believed Christ Church, this is our word. This is our clarity that God's new thing is Jesus. We've had multiple prophetic words and pictures over the past few years that all 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 turn our sights to this new thing that God might do in our community. Listen to me. It's Jesus. It's a continuation of the same work that's been happening for thousands of years. It might be contextualized, different. It might look different in a new season. It might have a different feel, but it will always be the work of Jesus. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for anything else when we talk about a new thing. I'm not looking for a program that some other church is doing. I'm not looking for some new preference. I'm not looking for some flashy light. We're looking for Jesus. He shows up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. We're looking for Him to be good news to those who are poor in spirit and in their pockets. He says he sent me to be to proclaim freedom to the captives. We're looking for Jesus to set those free who are stuck in sin and stuck in addiction and stuck in terrible situations. He says I'm anointed to bring recovery of sight to the blind. We want Jesus to open spiritual eyes so they can see him. And we want him to heal physical bodies. He says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. We want Jesus to free people from spiritual oppression and we want Jesus to free people from relational oppression and replace oppression from systems and structures and all kinds. We're looking for that and nothing else. What are we going to do? What are we going to do as we fast over the next seven days in this season over the next seven weeks at least? We're going to ask Jesus, what are you doing? I've learned that God don't wait for us to notice something before he starts doing it. So there's a good chance that this new thing that he's been doing in Jesus, he's already doing it. So we're just going to take a step back and say, what are you doing? I'd encourage you over the next week to pray, Father, what are you doing in our family? What are you doing in this community? What are you doing in this city? What are you doing? And he will show us. And when he shows us, we're just going to align ourselves. We're, we're, we're following the cloud and it'll be beautiful. That's our glimpse. He says, I'm the new thing. I'm the new thing.